We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Arsene Wenger proves naysayers wrong who claim he doesn't do tactics by benching his best player for a trip to Anfield. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, Paul refused to come on the podcast because he knew it would turn into a cockfight. Get it? Cockfight? Fight about... Anyway. Uh, Tim is not here. He is being buried beneath Anfield. But Clive is here. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePAFC. He is going to have to play the role of uh, Tim, the uh, level-headed writer extraordinaire, and Paul, the man who will scream at me for claiming this is all Francis Coughlin's fault. Clive, it is a pleasure to have you on. <laughs> hey, man, I don't know how I can cover those two studs, but I'll give it a go. You know, man, you just I'll... do you. You do you, and I'll do all the crazy shit that I normally do. Um, there is just uh, no place to start like the beginning, and uh, the decision to bench Alexis Sanchez. In the wake of the game, there's been revelations that there was a training ground bust-up. Um, Clive, I I guess you can make an argument that Arsene Wenger has been beaten with the stick of pampering his players, not taking control, not being in a leadership position, not disciplining his players. And so, and I will admit to have been one of the people who has beaten him with that stick. But even in light of these revelations and in light of the concerns about team chemistry, there really is no defending the lineup he put out for Anfield, is there? No, there isn't. And um, I'm not sure there's ever been a game that was lost one hour before kickoff like this one, right? Because, you know, you, you just look to that team. And because we, we've had time to think about this game, we've had time to really, you know, get ready for it. We've had time to prepare for it. We're not, we're not tired. We're rested. We've watched Liverpool play versus Leicester. We've seen them in action. We've seen their weaknesses. They played on Monday um, and got spanked. We've had two weeks to yeah, prepare and rest. Yeah, exactly. We saw it. We saw how they got beaten, what Leicester did. The formula was in front of us. And we decided to do something else. And I, and I sometimes think as a as a manager, as a coach, you can you can overthink a game. But, you know, as soon as the team came out, you've got to say to yourself, well, hold on a minute. Is this a tactic or something happened? And it's since transpired that potentially something's happened. But we don't know. We're, we're in the land of speculation now. We're in the land of contract negotiations. We're in the land of, is a manager going to stay or go? And so the variables by which we're speculating on, on what's actually happened are becoming greater and greater. And I, I try to sort of analyse the actual facts of what we're seeing. And um, what I'm seeing is a selection which makes no sense. But more importantly, you look at the players and you can see that they don't believe in what the manager's doing. 
well, I don't know if you caught it, but as they were walking out onto that pitch, they didn't look like a team pumped up, ready to go. No, they did not. They had their heads down, looking at their boots, walking well, do, into the line. Do you send a message to your team? I mean, poor. when they look around at the team sheet, they have to know. Wow, this is um, this is not <laughs> what we're used to seeing. I mean, let me ask you this: There's been so much attention on Alexis being dropped, and obviously it's an indefensible decision. But there were a lot of curious decisions. You want to maybe give me a few that you think were, if not as bad, certainly right up there for uh, being erroneous uh, outside of the Alexis decision. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at it. From what perspective are you picking the team, right? So you can decide. Well, we're Arsenal. And we're going to play our way. And whether you like it or not, Benga plays 4-2-3-1 and he plays his way. He has a number 10 of some sort of technical ability. He normally builds a team around who floats. And he has two wide men supporting a single player. And he has two deep midfielders. That's how he plays. We can debate whether that's the right formation. right? So, then I look at Liverpool. And how do they play? They play 4-3-3. They have a midfield V similar to PSG with Wijnaldum, Can, and um, Lallana. Not you know not the best defenders, and they have three forwards: Mane on the right, Coutinho tucks in on the left, and Firmino almost like a false nine centre forward looking to stay close together. And they and they play narrow, they play tight, and they run inside shoulders on fullbacks, and they run through you. So as soon as you know that, you say, "How? What teams have had success against them? Mm-hmm. The smaller teams have had success against them. And what do the smaller teams do? They give them the ball, stay compact." And then wait for a mistake, and they spring into the spaces that they leave behind. Right, so and they can't handle so, it. They, they've proven they can't handle it. And, and I'll just add to that really quickly, Clive, just to jump in because that's kind of my mo. Is that yeah, you know it's go. one thing if this is at the Emirates and you say we can't play that way because the, the the Liverpool won't play into that trap. But at Anfield, the onus is on them. They're coming off a bad loss. They'll have to take the game to us. It's set up perfectly to just say, "Come into my web," said the spider to the fly. Sit compact. Sit deep. Have your speedy dribbly tricky forward you know forward line whether that's lucas theo and and alexis or alexis wellbeck and theo or whatever combination of those three runners that you want and i mean even without ozil you can play ox you can play uh shaka in midfield and just kick the ball 30 yards forward and chase after it if you want but by going you know, with with a target man up front in Giroud and slowing the game down and taking Alexis out and having, you know, Oxlade-Chamberlain in, in a wide position where he hasn't excelled, I think you just, you you played right into Liverpool's, into Liverpool's hands. Yeah, Liverpool are a front foot team. So what do you do? At the tip of, your, tip of your team, you need to have speed. What did we do? We picked the slowest forward we have and then and then played him up front on his own. Didn't give him the support he needed. And if he did that, but he went 4-4-2 with somebody very fast next to him, what that does is it creates the threat of the transition. It creates the threat of going in behind. And straight away, Liverpool stepped back five yards. Straight away, they're not as compact. They can't gamble. So what they could do in the smaller, tighter areas, their forward-thinking centre midfielders in the Lana and Wijnaldum could work in a smaller space. And they are very dynamic on the press. But if you widen that space, you're now exposing them to real one-on-one defending. To widen the space, you have to have force that stretch the team, stretch the team backwards, create space for you to play in, and get them thinking, okay, I, I can't run for, I can't leave this big space behind me. I better stay here. Straight away, Liverpool stop pressing when you do that. Mm-hmm. And when they stop pressing, you're now looking at them technically. You're looking at them physically. You're looking at their defensive attributes because they're now playing in areas where they're not comfortable. But you have to stretch them. You have to stress them. And we just didn't do that. We didn't have, well, I say we didn't have the players. We did have the players, but we chose not to select them. And it is it is, it is criminal. And, and not just that. I mean, if you want to have any control against a team that's going to press you and not get completely caught in midfield, then why not? I mean, I mean, look, Awobi probably doesn't warrant selection at this point, but the one place he has been effective is on the wing, and the one place Oxley chamberlain seems to have been effective is in midfield. And so what does he do? He puts Awobi at the 10, and he puts Ox on the wing. Um, yeah. You know, th- that selection was kind of hard for me to understand. Again, Francis Coughlin, you know this isn't a game where he's going to be rampaging into the attacking half, taking the ball off defenders and creating chaos. So it seemed like he would be a player who 
might get bypassed in this game and really struggle if he was put under pressure. And we saw that. He gave the ball away critical situations. He didn't know where to be on the pitch. He didn't know where to stand. He couldn't complete passes. Um, really just a shocking performance from him and and un- under the kind of pressure that you know he's going to struggle with. Um, I also thought as a result of it, Granit Xhaka had a shocker, if you see what I did there, because yeah. he didn't have that partner to play passes off of and he had to take that extra time, that extra touch. He couldn't. The, the thing that's interesting to me, Claude, so the manager said, I played Giroud and Welbeck because we wanted to play longer, be more direct. And yet we didn't seem to do that. Giroud had fewer touches than either goaltender the first half and, and Welbeck had hardly any involvement either. As a manager, how do you explain that you set the team up to play a certain way and then there is absolutely no evidence to suggest the team played the way you claim you set them up for? And then you're asking yourself a question, do I buy what he said? Do I buy that he wanted to go longer? Or do was he thinking, because there are statistics out there that Liverpool are probably the worst team for conceding goals on crosses, yeah. and particularly second balls in the penalty area. So was he thinking that? Whatever he was thinking, he was overthinking. Well, they didn't you know, play because- to those strengths. So, I mean, if you want to make an argument that that... that- in order to defend that selection, the team would have had to have played in a manner to play to those strengths, and and there was no evidence of that. No, there was none, and and so Arsenal have always played through the thirds. So in their DNA, they play short combination passes, and that's exactly what Liverpool wanted. They wanted us to get it from them, but then play into the middle where they could then go and rat around our ankles and take it off of us and then transition through us and through our lines. And and they're very, very good at that. They go ping, ping, ping into wide areas, take cross shots and shots on goal and, 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 and have us running back. And they're very high octane when they're on the front foot. I mean, I, I almost feel it, it, it's, it's, I've never seen... I honestly, I've never seen in all of my Arsenal watching life such an inept preparation for a game where the tactics are very, very obvious. I just felt we, we, we just did not prepare for our opponent in any which way or form. Yeah, I think this is a pretty worrying sight when you're going away, big game, in March. You've had two weeks to prepare, and the manager does not seem to know what team to pick, who his best lineup is. Uh, there are real questions about why Ozil actually missed this game. I mean... Obviously, we have to accept that he was ill, but I, I think you can at least call that into question. It's the second illness in two and a half months. It's you know coming at around the time of a book release. You wonder if there are going to be some revelations in that book that may mean that he is being frozen out at Arsenal. We'll see. Um, and that is pure speculation, which is what I'm here for. Uh, you drop Alexis after a training ground bust up. And, you know, I, I, even that bothers me because we want that hunger and that anger and the team to get mad at each other and things aren't going well. They should fight. They should sort it out. They should scream and yell at each other. Um, you know, we know the socialist wage structure at Arsenal didn't work. And I don't know that this team unity, harmony, everybody hold hands and sing kumbaya thing works either. I think you need some tetchiness and some fire in the bellies and some arguments when the team's not playing well, especially if you're not getting that kind of treatment from the manager. Um, But you look at just tactically what the plan was here. And if the plan was to play crosses to Giroud or go long to Giroud and Welbeck, we certainly didn't play to that strength. And then I think you also have to question what role Francis Cochran plays? Because this season, it seems, he's been deployed as a destroyer. He's been often further forward up the pitch tackling. He certainly hasn't been shielding the back four, and, and we actually saw on their first goal that he was all at sea, caught sort of between the lines, running backwards towards his goal and not in- influencing the play, really. I-, I guess my question for you, Clive, is, is this sort of the seminal moment in the Francis Cochran Arsenal decline, and I'm not pinning the loss on him, certainly, but I think this game, for me, highlighted the shortcomings. Uh, He he couldn't perform on the ball. He didn't add any defensive solidity off the ball. Is it hard to see now how he he can fight his way back in and how we can go forward with him as a regular in the midfield? I just feel he's being targeted by opposition coaches, right? So we've got a ball player in Shaka. Everyone knows that we're going to play through him. So if you're a coach, you can say, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut off the supply lines to Shaka. I'm going to make sure they have to pass and build through Cochrane. And as soon as it goes to Cochrane, I'm going to press him. And if you watch what Lalana did, as soon as it went to him, he pressed him continuously. So that was obviously, you know, when people talk about pressing, you look for a pressing trigger. 
And the trigger was obviously Coquelin. So what you need to do as a coach really, really quickly is make sure the third midfielder is available. And that puts a lot of pressure on 20-year-old Iwobi to be available. To be available for the ball, to take the, the take the passing pressure off of Shaka. And he, he wasn't he wasn't there. He was not consistently there. So we're now looking at Coquelin's weaknesses. Because now he's been asked to do something he's not good at. He's not very good at receiving the ball in the half turn. He doesn't have consistent pictures in his mind. Psychologically, he's much more awake and focused when the opposition have the ball. When we have the ball, psychologically, he knocks off. He goes quiet. He takes a mental rest. He doesn't think, well, we've got the ball. I need to create a line, a passing line, a passing lane to receive it and then move it on. He hasn't got the next picture in his head. So what he does, he puts his head down. As soon as his head goes down, bang, he's robbed. He's running back, making a slide tackle or not making one at all. And then what we do as fans is we criticise him. But what he needs is a is a defined role in that centre midfield with the right people around him. And it needs to be somebody like a you know somebody Oxley Chambers shouldn't be on the right touchline. Put it that way. He needs to be central. And what I always say when we go away from home, we need people who are comfortable on the ball. And I always think Hockland is much better at home when we have the majority of the possession and he can then work on getting the ball back. He can go into more areas because we overload. And his position, positioning weaknesses are not highlighted because generally we're in, we're in charge. When we're not in charge, if you're three yards away, it gets highlighted. If you've got your head down, you lose possession in the middle third. It's highlighted. So it's this, for me, this is a it is a selection issue. This is a clarity of selection issue. This is a defined role issue. This is a systemic issue. And now we're looking at a player that the system and the person around him completely doesn't suit him. And now his weaknesses are massively highlighted. And, and we're criticising him. Well, I don't think it's all his fault. Do you think that... Arsenal spent two weeks preparing for this game with the lineup that we put out and with the, the tactical uh, concept in place that the manager described? Or do you think that this was a roll of the dice on match day or the night before the match? And if so, how can you justify having two weeks to prepare for a match and toss together a lineup of players that are being put either in positions where they're not used to excelling or don't have the experience uh, in a big away game under tremendous pressure, both psychological pressure and actual pressure on the pitch. I mean, well, first of all, so I guess the right thing to do would be to ask you these questions so that you can actually answer them. So the first thing is, do you think Arsenal prepared for this match this way for two weeks or do you think it was a later roll of the dice? I think it was a later roll of the dice. Okay, and, um, so given that, how do you justify How do you have two weeks to prepare for a match and then throw players onto the pitch in a setup that they will have no familiarity with and expect to, to coax a performance out of the team that way? It, it can't be justified, right? And it can't be justified. And this is where my this – is, this is a big thing for me as a, as a supporter, right? So I, I don't expect Arsenal to win every single game. I have no expectation us to win the Champions League or the league. All I hope for as a fan is that we prepare and that we're progressing as a club and moving forward. And we're we're a top four club with top four wages in the most you know money rich league in the world. So we got we got many many resources where we we can prepare for games of football. And we don't look that way. We don't look elite. We don't look like we've watched the last game that they played. We don't look prepared, and we look trapped in our own internal issues around our superstar players and our managers. And you've heard me talk before about us being very superstar dependent, and that's how we look. That's modern look football, though, right? I mean, I mean, you know, Barcelona don't win if Messi, Neymar, and Suarez don't perform. You know, Chelsea need Hazard and Costa to do their thing to win. Um, you know, Manchester City need De Bruyne or, I mean, you know, uh, Jesus is out, but Cunaguero. Uh, you know, if those players don't perform, they don't win. I, I just think modern football is as much as ever about managing to your superstar talent, keeping that yeah. talent happy, knowing how to deploy that talent, because you're never going to have 11 superstars. So you take a Mesodozo and you take an Alexis Sanchez and you say, I'm going to build a team that can get the best out of these two phenomenal, transcendent talents, and I'm going to surround them with good quality, capable players that each fit a role that will support these two tremendous attacking talents and give us a platform for them to win us games and titles and trophies because that's how you win. You win titles yep. and trophies by having 
uh, uh, Messi, Xavi, Iniesta. You win titles and trophies by having a Bale and Ronaldo. You win titles and trophies. I mean, even last year, by having a look at it, it was Mares and, and Vardy that carried Leicester to a title. And I just don't think this manager has the ability anymore to understand how to manage the modern superstar. Um, and that is a crisis for Arsenal because you're not going to win with Giroud and Iwobi replacing Alexis and Ozil. For fuck's sake, that's just not a plan to win a game, let alone a title. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think there is another point we have to get to here, though, Clive, and that is yep. passion, passion and fight. <laughs> I, I hate this because it is the most overused um, phrase and, and uh, narrative when it comes to addressing games and teams. But with respect to the first 45 minutes, I almost feel compelled to raise the question. Was this a team that went out there and quit on the manager and on each other for 45 minutes? It it looked that way to me in in their body language. And I I often feel that players know players. They know who's good. They know who's on form. There's a hierarchy in the dressing room. And everyone knows who the main man is, right? They, they're watching me training every day. He's always, he's the player you want to be on the team in the eight on eight. You want to be on his team because he's going to score goals, right? And everyone in that club knows our best player is Alexis Sanchez, and he is not on the football pitch. So straight away, you feel as though you're going into an environment where you are underpowered. And then you think what it does to the opposition. They feel, well, they've not picked Alexis. They immediately feel emboldened. They immediately feel, well, this is our chance to take them to the cleaners. And so the impact is negative to us and very positive to them. And it was a very interesting quote from Klopp. I think I read it or I heard it when he said, the first five minutes of Alexis Sanchez being on the pitch felt like 50 minutes. And and that, to me, is what a, a top player does. And so there was a belief within our team that Alexis is, was our is our on the pitch leader, and we immediately started to move better, move the ball better, get into areas and threaten them, and they didn't look so good. And uh, then you ask yourself, what's going on? And we're now speculating beyond speculation. We don't know. We read things. Are these stories leaked? Where they leak from? Are they leaked from the agent? Are they leaked from the club? But we know for one thing that there are issues with our key people in our club, and that's a problem. That's yeah. A problem. yeah, it's a huge problem. And I mean, look, the, the 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 justifications, the excuses, the rationalization, it doesn't even line up anymore. Arsene Wenger was quoted before the match as saying, we're going to go for it. We're going to go out there and we're going to go for it. And then he picked a lineup that clearly wasn't designed to go for it. And he says, we're going to play long and direct. Okay, fine. And we just kind of timidly sat back and took it from Liverpool for 45 minutes. Um, and didn't seem to have any clear plan, which is understandable. I think when you put these players out there and... They look at this lineup and you vaguely tell them, all right, we're going to play a little bit long here. Good luck. Godspeed. Like, that's not a tactic they will have practiced, they will have had experience with. Um, And it's also completely against his philosophy that he's played for the last 20 years. He's never played long. He's never done that on any particular big game. He's never gone back to front. He's always played through the thirds. So not only have we taken out our key superstar personnel, that he's completely changed his philosophy for one game. And then we're expecting a team of, you know, disparate parts and inexperienced players in key positions to deliver for us. It was never going to happen. Look, it was we, never going to happen. We had 0.2 XG in the first half, which is fine if you say we we uh, sacrificed our attacking flair and impulse for a more uh, organized and compact defensive effort. But we didn't fucking do that. Like We're the only team that can pick a kind of stale, dour, grinded outside and still ship two goals and a half uh, and be all over the place. The one thing that I still see about this Arsenal team, Clive, and you'll have to explain it to me because I am an absolute moron. Um, (laughs) How can this team have two settings, totally flat, incapable of attacking and just, you know, losing the ball? And then when we do have any kind of attacking flair and impetus, it's with every player pushed so far up the pitch and no proper spacing in the midfield in particular, such that the minute we turn the ball over... It's four-on-threes and three-on-twos, and our midfielders running back towards their goal with the ball in front of them. Like, that's the thing I don't get. The the couple of times when we did attack and did look threatening in this game, it was shortly after those periods where we were totally exposed. Um, Why is it that we can't find a balanced way of 
building attack without totally lifting up our our skirt at the other end of the pitch? I've always felt that Arsenal are an emotional team, a tactically immature team. So when we, you know, I wonder why that is. Yeah, I've I've always felt that we're based on confidence and flow. When we flow, we flow as as an eleven. When we don't flow. I don't think we manage those adversities very, very well. We, we we don't play ugly well. We can only play one well. We don't one way. We don't do the ugly parts of the game well. That's been a trait for many, many years. We don't have defined roles in our group. We don't have when we do everything as a, a completely fluid unit. So when it works, it looks beautiful. When it doesn't work, we look vulnerable and bereft of any sort of defensive strategy and also when the ball breaks down we don't we we, we're quite easy to be counted on because we all it's like being the school playground i feel a goal coming i feel good let me just run into that area to try and get that goal we're not thinking about the next phase the next step we don't ring the box well on on the counter so we look very vulnerable and also the profile of the players that we have you can just watch them I, i spent a bit of time watching iwobi yesterday and defensively, he's completely blind. People run off his shoulders. But as soon as we have the ball, he turns into a Rolls Royce getting into space to receive it. But then he'll, his, his efficiency on the ball is, is quite 50-50 at the moment. He's a young kid. I don't want to kill him. But when they have the ball, he doesn't know what to do. He's not experienced enough. He doesn't know where to stand. He just basically stands in the 10 position, waiting for someone to give him the ball, and then he's going to give a 50-50 efficiency when he does have it. Yeah. So you can't carry those point. players in big no. games. Psychologically, you have to have two sides of the game. And I know Adam Alana's 26 years of age, just signed a £100,000 a week contract at Liverpool, but he was doing parts of the game that he never did two, three years ago. He's just reached a level now where he can be trusted in big games consistently. And he's at 26. We're asking a 20-year-old academy product in his second season, his first full season, to play in a pivotal number 10 role against a top six team away where our top <laughs> well, six record away from home <laughs> is very, very poor. And then we're criticizing him. Well, well you know and, what? and it's not just that, Clive. It's We're asking him to do that without the most talented center forward we have in front of him that he could at least possibly release without uh, a, a true platform in central midfield behind him that can build the play and put him in positions to be successful. So we're putting him in a position he shouldn't be in anyway, and then we're not exactly. surrounding him with the tools to get the best out of his talent. And I guess this, this raises the next question for me, which is, you know, look, I've had people say to me, oh, well, Alexis gives the ball away too much, and Alexis makes mistakes. Yes, but his, his positive variance is off the charts. His expected goals plus expected assists is only bettered by Lionel Messi in the top five leagues in Europe. Okay? Wow. Um, his positive output is sensational and on another plane, especially in a team playing as poorly as Arsenal. Um, so what I would say is you can carry the things Alexis does that frustrates you because he's going to deliver game-winning, match-winning moments multiple times in a match. Okay? Now, obviously, you then have to surround him with the kind of players that are more uh, secure on the ball or are a little more defensively aware to mask the fact that he is occasionally going to carry it too long or turn the ball over and, and, and potentially put you under pressure. But when you swap that out for an Awobi, sure, Awobi might turn the ball over a little bit less than an Alexis, but he's going to create an absolute scintilla of the amount of attacking opportunities, goal-scoring opportunities, both getting on the end of them and creating them, that Alexis does. So you're taking a huge amount of goal contribution out of your side, and you're not replacing it anywhere with goal contribution that can match that. So right there, you're saying, well, we're going to have to be better defensively because we've reduced the likelihood that we're going to score goals. So now we have to believe that we're going to be better defensively, and I just don't think that that's something that Arsenal can rely on game in game out i mean we've given up three five and three in our last what four games yeah. if you take the FA yeah. cup out of it and it's it's not something we haven't seen before i mean you cast your memory back to six three at city to six nil at chelsea to five one at anfield to three nil at everton um we're in one of those kind of runs right now now amazingly that season ended with a top four finish this one still could but I do want to get to the second half where the improvement did occur. But before I do that, one quick word on Awobi. And, and just again, selection and how the team is run and what the manager, the message this manager sends. You got a 20-year-old who's struggling for form. And 
he gets to keep starting game in, game out. You got a guy in Francis Coughlin who, again, struggling for form, doesn't seem to be a fit stylistically, gets to start game in, game out. Alexis Sanchez, who's a firebrand, who's, who's got that fire in his belly, who's creating some of that turmoil in, in the dressing room, but maybe that turmoil can create positive change. He gets dropped, you, you know, for, I mean, the manager would say for tactical purposes. I think none of yeah. us believe that. What kind of message does it send to players when they see Awobis and Cochlins just getting start after start after start when an Alexis gets punished for basically not playing nice in the sandbox? Yeah, exactly. It sends a it sends a message that I've always said that we've got a crush going on, and Wenger has his favourites, and he's lost clarity of selection. But then I put myself in Iwobi's shoes, and I'm thinking, okay, imagine what you're thinking right now. You're a 20 year old kid. You look to the bench. You've got Alexis Sanchez, statistically probably the most productive player in the whole of the Premier League, sitting there. Whether you like him or not, Aaron Ramsey, UEFA Team of the Year. 2016 at the Euro 2016 tournament could easily play that position 25 26 very experienced you've got Theo Walcott 130,000 pound a week you can make a shuffle get him onto the pitch sitting on the bench you've got Lucas Perez a 28 year old man that's scoring goals every time he gets onto the pitch and he must be looking to the side feeling huge internal pressure to perform every time he gets on the ball, knowing his teammates are probably thinking, what is going on here? You know, what is going on? As soon as you lose that clarity of selection, you start to get questioned. And I feel the manager's being questioned by the players. And I feel, you know, I, you can see it at Bayern Munich particularly, and it's just continued. There is no clarity in what we're trying to achieve. That's there is no identity. Point. That's a great point. There Clive. is no identity. As a player, and this is true whether you're an employee in a company or a player in a team, you need to believe that the leadership at the very top has a plan and they believe in that plan. And as long as you follow it, you will be taken to success. Okay? Yeah. Once you believe that the leader either has a broken plan or no plan, it becomes impossible to feel confident in yourself, in your team. And in that leadership, and I think we have reached that point where the players look at the manager and say, he's, he's scuffling, he has no idea. Um, you know, and I think this is the culture of mediocrity. Um, a coach who going to Anfield will say, I'm going to play this nice, sweet, hardworking 20-year-old because he deserves it for being nice, sweet, and hardworking instead of this absolute son-of-a-bitch superstar because he's a son-of-a-bitch. That's enforcing mediocrity, saying, I care more about harmony and long-term peace and accord within my camp than I care about winning today. You know, Diego Costa is about to win his second Premier League title. He is an absolute cunt of the highest order, but he wins titles. He wins games. He's a match winner. His, his teammates, I'm sure, absolutely fucking hate him, at least half of them. But on match day, I guarantee you every one of them wants to see him in the starting 11. And if you do need to sit Alexis Sanchez down, just a quick point here. You can sit him down for Lincoln or you can sit him down for, you know, pick a game. I mean, there's no game that I feel so super confident about anymore, but, you know, Hull at home or Swansea at home or whatever it is. You don't make this point with this lineup at Anfield away. So we come out of the uh, dressing room with a, a mountain to climb, and now Alexis does come in, and now there is a difference, and we see that impact made almost immediately. Now, I, I want to say one thing. I don't feel the need to address the refereeing. Not because it wasn't an issue, but because it is an issue on which there's not going to be any debate among the support. So, Clive, unless you disagree, I mean, we all agree Emery Chan should have been off, that the Alexis, yeah. that, that Chaka getting Chan's yellow was ridiculous, that there yeah. was probably an offside for the third goal. Like, there's plenty of things we can dive into there, but there's no disagreement. So I don't see the fun or the, the, the intellectual excitement about debating something we're all just going to pat each other on the back about and say yeah I don't think anyone wants to blame the referee for this game and I don't think we can so if you're okay with it I say we pass on the debate of the referee yeah I say we pass we haven't got, we got to get our own house in order before we start looking at the referee yeah. and what he hasn't done right so, so, um, so talk, talk me through the, the changes he made at halftime and and how you thought it made us look just in terms of I mean obviously look we got the goal but do, do you think it changed the performance for the first, let's say, 25, 30 minutes that, that they were out there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's interesting. I always look at the players. The players, are, they, the players tell you what's going on, right? The players tell you who they believe in, who they don't believe in. You know, you know 
they they give the ball to players who are hot. They don't give it to players that are cold. They turn away from you. You lose the ball two, three times in succession. Trust me, you're not getting that ball again the next time because you're not helping the team. Players choose. Players tell you when someone is doing well because they received the ball. And immediately we started to play to our superstar. We just did it. So there's a problem with Alexis from within the players. I never sensed it. I never sensed it because immediately he got the ball, received the ball, and he um, what he did within five minutes was make Liverpool look like Liverpool that played against Leicester on the Monday night. He just challenged them in the only in the way that he can. He ran at people. He's he's agile off the spot. He always creates lines where he can receive it. He never stops the ball dead. He always has touch touch off the spot. Creates fouls. Creates momentum. Sends people back towards their own area. He's a wonderful footballer, and he's exactly the type of footballer that we need five more of. But what's happened here is that Wenger's created a, a wonderful f- developmental environment, which over time, he has, you know, as we all grow older, we suffer fools less. We create, we want people around us. We don't want people around us who we don't like. We don't want people around us that cause us stress. We don't want people around us that upset the apple cart, right? That's, a, that's just a natural thing with age. He, he loves the environment he's created. And people like Alexis, people like Robin Van Persie, people like Seth Fabricas. There's a common denominator here, isn't it? They can get a little bit chippy, depends what reads, what rumours and what things you want to read. But there's one thing that happened to all of them. They, they end up going. They end up leaving and he ends up staying. And we buy somebody else that's malleable, that can fit to, to his way of doing things, who needs him more than... He needs them. And that's what he does. I want to see five more Alexis's holding his teammates to account, holding the manager to account, raising the standards, because that's what we're going to do to win. And maybe, you know, Diego Costa has a great shout. He's just like him. He's a killer. He wants it. He does not care what he does to get it. And if we want to take the next level, we need a few more people like that. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sorry, we create a culture. You talk about develop, developing these players, but I think we develop them wrong because we create a culture of pampered superstars. At 17 years old, they get a professional contract. They're put into the side, which is great. They should get some first team, but then they just sort of inherit a first team opportunity that maybe they don't warrant. I mean, Oxley chamberlain has been great when he's moved into the center. He got so many opportunities on the wing this season when we could have played a Lucas uh, Perez, when we could have tried alternatives, and he really struggled there. And he really hasn't put in a good performance on the wing all season, but he keeps getting them. He got he got the chance again on at, at Anfield. Awobi's another example of a guy who went from being sort of an inspirational inclusion in the side at a time when we were lacking a, a, a interesting wide player to a 20-year-old who's just basically presumed to be a, a first-choice starter. Um, and I don't know that that creates hunger or fire in the belly. I don't know that getting a nice... You know, you look at our wage structure... And it, I think it disincentivizes performance because it basically says as long as you're pretty decent, you're going to make a very nice wage and have plenty of playing time at Arsenal. Um, I, I don't know that that's a recipe for success. Uh, you know, one, one of the, the questions I had about the way we changed our lineup at halftime, give me a, a percentage. What percentage of our performance was improved by Alexis coming on and what percentage of our performance was improved by Coughlin coming off and Ox moving into the center? Because <laughs> I mean, I really do think that that the the focus will be on the difference Alexis made, and understandably, and he created a goal. But I think Ox moving central and Cochrane being pulled out had almost as much impact. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and and systemically, we're, we're killing so many players, right? So we're not we're not protecting Monreal well enough from the left hand side. Uh, Mustafi and Koscielny, they're not their starting positions have all gone wrong. Bellerin has had so many partners on the right-hand side. He can't get that combination, which he had with Theo Walker at the start of the season. So now people are questioning his final ball. Shaka, we're leaving Shaka too much space to cover in centre midfield. We need to put somebody athletic next to him who can receive the ball. Or maybe someone like Oxley Chamberlain, funny enough. And guess what? They tend to look better when those two are together in centre of the pitch. Cochrane, we're, we're magnifying his weaknesses. Iwobi, we're overloading him. Welbeck, we're trying to ease back in, but as soon as he comes back, he looks absolutely wonderful. So the temptation to overplay him is there, and when he comes off the pitch, there's complaints. Giroud seems a manager's favourite, like Iwobi is right now, and like Ramsey has been in the past. I'm not a massive Ramsey fan, but you must be looking at Iwobi and wondering what's going on there. I could do that role. 
you know so there's just so many things wrong and then you look at Lucas Perez you know what's he got to do to to you know get into the manager's selection so what happens there people just look and say he's lost it I've lost respect for him and that's when you lose dressing rooms you know and and that it looks like that to me at the moment it looks like that and this is all maybe I keep going back to what Tim said on, on the podcast a few weeks back Wenger is very good at managing teams, but I don't think he's very good at managing squads. And this is probably the biggest, or deepest squad he's ever had. And I don't think he knows what to do. You I know, mean, he's play been, your best players would be would be the easiest yes. solution. Um, but it forces him to make too many decisions, which I don't think he's comfortable making. And it, it seems that way to me. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. It just It's hard to see what the tactical plan is. And ultimately, again, two weeks to prepare... We're into March, and you go to Anfield and you start a lineup that we have never started at any point this entire season with a tactical plan we have never employed at any point this entire season. Um, yeah. That's pretty hard to justify. And then, you know, you come out and you put Alexis back in it half halftime, and you move Cochran out of the midfield where he just doesn't belong, frankly, and, and you, you put Ox in there, and it starts to look better how disappointed were you that he then reverted to the usual wait till 70 plus minutes to make additional changes? He, he's, he was, he was thrashing, you know, at, he's thrashing. He's searching for a formula. He's normally stumbles on one by now and he can't find one, you know, no, and nothing's while working, he's having, right? The go for it working. isn't working. The sit deep and play. I mean, he's, you're right. Thrashing is a great, a great way to put it. He, nothing he's trying is, is coaxing the performance out of the squad that he wants right now. It's, it's not working. We've we've we had combinations and partnerships during the season. We've lost almost all of them, and players who were confident. I mean, look at Mustafi, and I would look at the look at the disparity in performance between He's Chelsea. <laughs> He's <laughs> exactly. Oh I, when I when I saw him play live versus Chelsea in the home game, he was absolutely tremendous. So aggressive, so proactive. You know, going shoulder to shoulder with Costa, and I've never seen Costa be bullied like that. And um, it was just great to see. And then, then you watch the equivalent game a few months later. You see a player not sure of himself, completely exposed, not looking as physically dominant. He doesn't want to be proactive because all he can see in front of him are opposition shirts running towards him. So he doesn't want to engage. He drops into his box. In his box, he's not as dominant. He's much more dominant outside his box. So there's a knock-on effect of the whole structure breaking down. So systemically, we're exposing so many people, but then we're judging them, and I won't do that. I won't do that because system-wise, we're we're letting them down by by poor team selection and poor and poor system shape. Yeah. Right? So um, it's funny, right? Like I can live with us being a dumpster fire defensively because I've kind of come to expect it. Um, I just can't understand with the talent at his disposal, how he cannot solve the problem of making us a more uh, attack-minded squad, a, t a team. I mean, you're talking about a vulnerable back four there. Liverpool can be beaten at the back, and we did yeah. not have a solution for unlocking that. And ironically, I think playing them at Anfield, as I said earlier, would have been the perfect place to actually get at them because the impetus is on them. They can't. They can't just have us come out to them and press us and collect it and win in transition. Um, I just don't know what, what the idea was. And, you know, admittedly, we climbed back into it, and maybe if the refereeing decisions had gone our way, maybe we steal an equalizer. Um, I know Giroud hit, yep. you know, hit the post. And then, you know, there were, there were disappointments, and ultimately they did get the third, probably albeit offside. But I don't think it would have reflected in, in any way what happened in the, in the match for us to have taken anything from this. I think the... the the question now is the direction we're going. I mean, we've seen Arsene pull Magic out before. I mean, we've seen him get top four finishes when they looked like they were dead and buried. I don't know that we've seen him do it with a chasing pack quite like the one that we're confronted with this season. Um, if you were Arsene's consigliere, if you were his, his best mate, if you were you know, there giving him the advice he needed, what would you tell him he has to do to get things back on the rails now? Well, he's got to he's got to basically look at who he's going to build the team around, right? So, if you're going to the, the back forward, it's probably one position that's debatable at the left back, so we can rotate that. Yeah, I mean, Nacho so Monreal, rest in peace, right? Like he's dead. 
we killed him. Yeah, I, I think Blue he's, Factory. He's, he's, he's not, let's just say he's not as dominant as he once was. I mean, right? look, so, there's um, no less forgiving place than Arsenal left back, right, for, for a defender yeah. because you're getting absolutely no cover or protection from anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and funny enough, the, his best periods have come when Alexis has played left. Because what happens is that people can't leave Alexis. They can't double point. up on Monreal. So he struggles when other people play left. So we need to find that mix there. I, I, I do. I have a, I have a preference for with this group just because of Shaka's strengths and weaknesses that we need to put two people around him, two more rounded midfielders around him and play three in central areas and create a platform because what you've got to think if you're a coach when you're selecting a team is not only what I want to do on this day, but where is the team mentally? This wasn't a confident team. So let's set our stall out early in the game. Let's build some confidence. Let's make sure we build the blocks. First 20 minutes, let's make sure we're not conceding. Let's get to halftime and see where we are. What he's done is completely changed his philosophy. Sent out a team with no defensive strategy and no offensive strategy they're used to. So we can't create building blocks to build back up our confidence, which is an absolute fundamental to how we play. We're a team that's confidence and flow-based. Without that confidence, the timing of pass goes, and we lose so much about what we're good at. So he needs to just build a block slowly by being a bit more pragmatic making sure we're in these games for longer. Because, you know, late in that game at 2-1, Liverpool didn't look so confident, you know? So, and we could have easily got a draw if the referee had a little bit more, a uh, little bit more conviction about what he saw. Right? So, um, that's what I would do. And I would definitely go back to the basic fundamentals of having speed in my front three, defined roles in centre midfield, three tight, and have speed in my front three. You know, in years gone by, we'd be wondering what to do, what options to play. But we've got so many options of the right profile of players. He just has to select them, and he's just not doing that. I think back to an article Arsblog wrote, a blog, many, many years ago, and he wrote that it made him sad that Arsene Wenger thought Alex Song was a good enough player to play for Arsenal. Um, it was at a time when Song was playing a lot, and he was really scuffling, and he was terrible. And Arsene yeah. stuck with him. Yeah. And it came good to the extent that Song did become a quality player who was important to the team, stayed for about a season in that capacity, and then left for Barcelona. Ha, 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 how hilarious. But in that, I think there is an interesting point, which is we got a season out of Song where he was actually pretty good, but we suffered. We suffered through poor performances and losses and loss of form to build him into that player. And in the win-now mentality of modern football, I don't yep. think you can say, I'm going to keep picking this guy because eventually he'll come good. Because by the time he does come good, you may have lost a few seasons' worth of productivity, and then he fucks off to another club, which is very possible. And I think in Francis Coughlin, you have a player who is one and a half feet out the door of the club. He came back in through injury and emergency, and he put in a performance against City where he basically just sat in front of the back four and destroyed everything. He didn't yep. use a lot of skill or flair. He destroyed everything in a very organized, composed performance that went against type. And since then, the managers kept picking him as a reward for that. And even if Francis Coughlin turns into a Busquets, shabby hybrid three seasons from now, what we are going through to get him there is hurting the team. I hate to pick on the guy, but it's not just him. We don't play a system that's right for a player like him. We don't, nope. we don't have the luxury of playing a player like him. I would, I would suggest that we have to get him out of the squad. We have to try to go with a three-man midfield. If Ozil is ever going to play for Arsenal again, put him on the left, put Alexis through the middle, give Ozil kind of a free roll from the wing, play Welbeck or Walcott or Perez on the other wing, and then go with the three. Ox, Ramsey, Shaka, or Shaka, Elneny, Ox, or if you, know, if you have to play a Wobi and Ox and, and Shaka there, you have to. It wouldn't be my preference, but get a little bit more control, have a little more technical quality in the side, and then find Ozil in those spaces between the lines and in the half spaces where he can link up. I just think he's got to make a move to a system like that. Um, I think he has to get Coughlin out of the firing line, obviously. He's going to have to make peace with Ozil and Alexis to the extent that he can to rescue this season. Um, and I just don't know if that's going to happen. I would say that with United, I think that... Uh, sad as it is to say, we may yet finish above Spurs because we just always do. I think they'll probably come top four. Chelsea are going to win the league. City are going to come top four. And that means, you know, we're really battling United and Liverpool for that last spot. Yep. 
Um, and we have to play United at home, which is helpful. We still have to go to Spurs away. Um, it is That is going to get really tense. Uh, I think we're in for a really tricky fixture because we have to play this dead rubber against Bayern on Tuesday, and that could be just an, an internecine kind of environment to play a match. Uh, then it's Lincoln. Then there's time off again. I mean, w- this this is just such a staccato period for us in terms of our Premier League fixtures that it is hard to build any momentum. Um, the good yep. news is we have a break where we can put all this in our rearview mirror and hit the refresh button if he's able to do that. Uh, I guess one last just quick question for you. With respect to the Ozil illness, do you cry foul? Do you think there's a conspiracy here? Do you think there's more going on? Or are you wired to just sort of take it at face value? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, he... he his illness has actually coincided with his dropping form because he had a break over Christmas. And since then, since he had that you know, Christmas break that he gets, um, basically he's not played. He's not played. So is he got a worse illness or is there something else going on? It's just a contract situation. So we're in the realms of speculation and we just don't know. And I don't want to, it depends what you read and what you believe and where your, where your views are about the manager and the club. And it's an interesting point what you made about Song, just touching that briefly. When we were going through the overplayed Alex Song, we sort of accepted it because we knew we had big bills to play. We knew that we were were in Project Youth. (laughs) Yeah, we we knew we had to sell a player a year. We knew we were in Project Youth. And, you know, we went out of Champions League one year playing PSV Eindhoven with a 19-year-old Danielson and a 19-year-old Alex Hedder in the 90th minute second yep, leg? That yeah, one, that one, that one. We had two 19-year-olds playing centre midfield in a Champions League, I think it's last eight game. And we accepted it and we still thought we'd win. You know, we and there was something, even though we were frustrated at the time, there was something clear about our identity and what we were trying to achieve and where we were. Right now, I don't know what we're trying to achieve. We've got more money than we've ever had. We've got more players than we've ever had. And our playing identity is is more opaque to me than it has been for many, many years. Because we just can't sustain a selection and clarity and direction. Because what's happening now is we're becoming insular. And the manager is becoming somebody that's become embattled and he's now having to justify himself. Yeah. And there's nothing that he hates more when he's been coaching since he was 32, which he likes to tell us. I've been coaching for over 30 years, and I've got to justify, justify myself to you. Well, Arsene Wenger, let me tell you something. You do have to do that. Every game and every Be- season. That's why you're paid £8 million. Pounds. Exactly. And there, there are millions and millions of fans asking you questions about what you're doing. And you are a public face of our club. And it comes with a territory and you have to accept it. If you don't accept it, you don't like what you're getting, well, start preparing for football matches properly. Look at the opposition and start planning properly. Start making sure that things that need to happen behind the scenes are happening. Start making sure that you renew the people infrastructure of our club properly so we can refresh the people that are coaching our players. All our coaches have been there way too long. They're way too old and there's no new ideas coming through. If people don't agree with me, well, then look at our top six results over the last three or four years. They're appalling. Indefensible. So, and, and, you know, that's what Fergie did so well, by the way, just quickly. The way he stayed on top is he kept refreshing his backroom staff and he delegated. He didn't feel the need to control every facet of what happened in every training session. That's what you do. When, you're, when you've are when been at a workplace for a long time, what you do if you're smart is you elevate yourself. You don't do the rubbish things you were doing five years ago. You let someone else do that. And if you're smart and you're positioned well enough, you hire someone to do that. So you can do the more strategic, longer-term things which are far more fun and pay you more. Why has he elevated himself? Why does he care about something of my new show within the club as well as the things that he should care about? To me, I've always felt that he's a chief executive that coaches. Whatever we do going forward, I would love a coach. That's what I would love to see, a coach that lives and dies by every yard on the football pitch and what a player needs to do, and that is really focused on detailed emphasis on the details of coaches, the fine details that really create the difference. I don't care who it is. I just want that change in style and allow the executives in the club to do what they need to do. And the sooner we get there, the better. Yeah. All right. Well, I I totally agree with that. I mean, I I just think at this point, 
I, I just cannot imagine how there is any ability for this manager to stay on. Um, maybe he gets an FA Cup win and keeps us in the top four and we're feeling differently at the end of the season. But the fact that we're going to have to wait till May to find that out means there's a potential that this club is going to be scrambling like crazy to be prepared for next season if this manager changes. Because this isn't just changing a manager. This is tearing the roots up on a tree. Um, yep. And it is going to leave huge holes that spider throughout the entire club and the playing staff. And I, I just don't know how you do that. Because the other thing is, if a new manager comes in, suddenly these guys like Awobi and Coughlin and Giroud, who have been manager favorites, I have a feeling that the next manager is going to come in and look at that and say, these aren't my guys. Um, and then you wonder, well, what is the team? And that that could be a really troubling transition to make. Um it's really disappointing right now. It's hard to be excited about Arsenal. It's hard to feel good about it. Nobody wants to be down on Arsene Wenger, and that's the sad thing. He has now stayed long enough that resentment is developing naturally, and nobody wants to resent this man. Uh, but even the people that adore him, I think, are now not only struggling to want him to stay, but struggling to respect the job he's doing. And you know what? By the way, spare me the I love him like I love my dad talk, because while I totally understand feeling that way, I think it is important to remember this is a man doing a job for which he is tremendously well compensated, um, and there should be an expectation of performance, of modernization, of achievement, of handling tough situations with aplomb and excellence, saying, oh, he punches above his weight, he gets top four every season, like, okay, that that's great, but that's not why he's right there as one of the top two or three best paid managers in world football. Um, anyway, I could go on. Uh, our next game is Lincoln. So, I mean, oh, well, no. Our next game is Bayern. Our next scrimmage, I should oh, say. Oh, yes. Which yep. I don't know how, how you even approach that. Um, no point previewing it because it is a complete dead rubber. The only upshot is that no matter what happens on that day, in theory anyway, we should have a nice, comfortable victory at the weekend and a trip to Wembley to maybe lift spirits enough to try to claw this season back onto the rails. We'll see what happens. Um Interesting times, though. <laughs> yeah, we should we should have that win. But let me tell you something. Lincoln are not Sutton. They are far more professional. They are full-time. Don't, don't do this, Clive. Don't uh, do this. I'm telling you now. I'm don't telling you now. <laughs> I'm telling you now. Let's, you know not, let's not count I'm our chickens. Right? I'm calling it Francis Coughlin hat-trick of assists. Boom. Yeah, yeah let's see. Right. At the moment, it's, just one, it's one game at a time, right? One, so, one uh, Bayern... Yeah, Bayern. Let's see what happens at Bayern. If there's rumours of a protest, etc., let's see what happens. You know, three we nil, think we're right? feeling. Yeah, we think we're feeling low right now. Mm. We could be feeling exceptionally low after that game, Great. and a whole new set of stories are going to come note, out. <laughs> um, yeah, great. Uh, okay, well, it, it is a pleasure to talk to you. I'm sorry that we did not have um, others to join the conversation, but I think you more than uh, made up for what would let's admit it frankly be a pretty bland contribution by either of them so i appreciate you being here this is uh this is clive you're, you're listening to he is on twitter at clive pafc clive as always really appreciate you coming on well thanks i'm sorry for being so depressing on that but hey that's the way it is uh yeah look man i mean it's like the source material you know what i mean <laughs> Like, there's not much you can do with it yeah. uh my name's yeah. elliot smith i am certainly worth a block on twitter yankee gunner uh Give us a five-star review on iTunes and then write nasty shit uh, specifically tailored to me. Clive, I don't know if you know this, but one of our earliest reviews, um, we got a five-star review from someone who said they would like to punch Elliot in the fleshy patch where genitals should be. So, oh dear. Like, more of those, I'm, please. I'm, I'm way too sensitive for that. I'll burst into tears if I get one of those. Yeah, well, we'll be sure to cut and paste them all and WhatsApp them to you after the, after the pod. All right, guys, we'll, uh, we'll be back after Bayern Munich scrimmage. Uh, and uh, we'll talk all about um, how Ainsley Maitland-Niles performed in that game. Anyway, uh, it's been a pleasure, genuine pleasure. Talk to you after the next one. Cheers. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.